So welcome to Power and Witness, uh, Jeannie Mancini. And I wanted to give a little bit of the backstory um, and just hear some of how you came to, to be the director for the March for Life in DC. Sounds like an exciting, uh, it's a big deal when Nellie Gray passed away to eternal reward and you took over this big, big march. What yeah. was, talk, walk us through that. Okay, mm -hmm. well, thanks. And it's an honor to yeah. be on your podcast, yeah. Father Mark. Thanks for all you're doing to build mm -hmm. a culture of life. Um, so I, well, let's see. So we're talking now, Nellie had begun the march in mm -hmm. 1974, mm -hmm. a year after Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton came down. And then I joined the board of directors for the March for Life in around June of 2012. Yeah. Nellie passed away in yeah. August of 2012. Wow. And so it was uh, shortly after that I was asked to take on the role of president mm -hmm. of the March. We actually made her, Nellie's job two different jobs. We had mm -hmm. someone take on the board chair role and then I took on the president role. Nellie had done both prior to that time. Oh. Nellie was 88 right. when she passed away and she was single she was single-handedly still running the March for Life at that wow. stage. She had a consultant who helped do a few things like um, accounting and doing our rose dinner program and, and things like that. But um, it was remarkable to me that she was able to do so much on her own. What a witness and, and just a, a strong person. Yes, a, a person of great tenacity, mm -hmm. um, without a doubt. Uh, in fact, Cardinal Dolan said once, and I thought I, I really appreciated this, that she was what the church needed in, in that particular time period in terms of her, her stance and yeah. her, you know, something, a famous quote that she would sort of repeat a lot was no exceptions, no compromise. Mm -hmm. um, and she was, you know, quite a stalwart for that, that mantra. And what do you hear from those days, like 74, you know, into the 80s? Were many people going to the march? Was there much mm. support or, mm. you know, what were yeah. people Well, uh, here's sort of a cut. So let me try to answer that a few different ways. Mm -hmm. The march has grown and grown and grown over the years to become the largest annual human rights demonstration. Mm. Our largest period of growth was in the 90s. Mm. And it was as Catholic churches and schools particularly were starting to bus students in. Mm. And so it was in the 90s both that the march grew and grew and grew, but also the age demographic came down exponentially because mm. to start it was mostly you know people who were in their 30s, 40s, 50s that were attending the march. And um, the hippies weren't taking a time out right. to help <laughs> But these days we've got uh, the, you know, the large majority of marchers are the age of 25 or under. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it changed. Interestingly though, in, you know, you mentioned the 70s and the 80s, that's the time period where um, Abortion was sort of on the rise, I would say. So in other words, the actual number of abortions and then people who self-identified as being pro-choice, um, that kept increasing until the late 1980s and early 1990s when it, it hit its peak. And then since then, it's been going down, right. which is positive. Um, but, you know, we still have a lot of work to do in that, in that area. And why do you think that is? What well, I think it, it's a lot of, I think that there are a lot of factors that are at play there. Um, I absolutely believe that advances in science and technology have had a massive influence yeah. on 
people becoming more pro-life. So you can't say that what's in a woman's uterus is a lifeless blob of tissue when you have a 3D ultrasound that's showing a heart beating at six weeks or eight weeks. I mean, mm -hmm. it just, it's just not true. Right. And people know that when they hear their ultrasounds, when they see them. So I think just that incredible um, perspective that we have now of the development of the unborn child and how that's so inherently beautiful yeah. and kind of converts people themselves. So that's a big piece of it. I think another part of it is uh, people's lived experience. So at the March for Life, we always mm -hmm. have someone share their testimony of regretting yeah, yeah. abortion. And, and for even for your listeners, it's important to f focus on the fact that there's always hope and healing because mm -hmm. anyone you know that we're talking to, we're in a culture of walking wounded right yeah, now. And yeah. many of us have been impacted by abortion, whether it's our families or our friends or our own choices. And it's so important to share that message of hope and healing. But I have yet to meet a woman who was strengthened um, by an abortion experience. And mm -hmm. so um, many share those testimonies. And I think that's going a long way in building a culture of life. Yeah. And I know the pro-choice side has tried to get their people to witness to it. And I've seen them sometimes at the march, but it just seems like forced. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're trying to be bold and everything, but it just didn't seem authentic. And, you know, obviously, I've got my viewpoint, yeah. but I don't know. It's just not convicting, you know. When I, on the other, when you talk about the pro-life from the pro-life side and their experience, I, I remember being in seminary. Bernard Nathanson came and gave us mm. a talk, and he was so uh, he's very kind of a dry speaker, but he had a great. Every now and then he'd throw in something very funny, but he, <laughs> he, he had this picture. It's a famous picture. They were doing like a, like a, I don't know if you call it prenatal uh, surgery, like operating yeah. on a child in yeah. the womb. Perinatal. Yep. That's pa right. Perinatal surgery. Perinatal. Yeah. Okay. And the child is in the mother's womb. They got a picture. You don't see the child's head, but the, the hand oh. is reaching out and that, and grabbing the, the finger of the doctor. You know, it's like what a normal baby would do, yeah. right? Or born baby. And, um, and I just remembered at the time, I don't think, I, I mean, it was kind of striking, but it took me a while to really get the power of it, probably just later reflecting on it. But I remember he was so, uh, he was so focused on this image. Now, this is a guy that wrote the manual, or right? he brought abortion into New York and laid down the game plan of how you get this in. Yeah. And he was saying what a power, how powerful this image is. This image is. Yeah. He, I think Bernard Nathanson could be credited in some ways, if you were going to name like one single person, of course it was a conglomerate, but mm -hmm. of sort of the legal architect of abortion in, yeah. or the architect of legal abortion in the United States. By, yeah. And then of course he had this massive conversion. I want to just talk a little bit more about that image, mm -hmm. uh, that surgery. So the image is called Hand of Hope. Yeah. Um, I've met the photographer, but more importantly, I've met the little boy whose hand came out. And oh, wow. so Samuel Armas yeah, yeah. is his name. He's spoken, uh, I think he's spoken at the March for Life, one of our mm -hmm. early ones, but he certainly spoke at Family Research Council when yeah. I worked there. And he had spina bifida and he was having oh. surgery on oh. spina bifida. And that surgery was very successful. And uh, Samuel's gone on to college and has graduated now. He sometimes needs, I think, to be in a wheelchair, but for the most part was yeah. able to live a very uh, normal and active mm -hmm. life. And um, 
is a little brother who also had spina bifida. It's genetic. And his brother wasn't a candidate for the surgery. So he's been much wow. more impacted by it. But that picture is so powerful. The picture yeah. that you described of yeah. that little baby's hand coming out and grabbing the doctor's yeah. finger. It's very special. And I guess it contrasted with his whole kind of his affect, his personality was like really dry. And, mm. and it was like, you're really moved by this. <laughs> I guess it just really yeah. struck me. But I, I've heard that from a number of pro-life activists that the images, people, you know, if they see what abortion is, they're not going to reject it until they see right. what it is. You know? And it's hard to put yourself in someone's perspective, but I can imagine that Bernard Nathanson, because he did tens of thousands of abortions yeah. in his lifetime, and I think he was probably haunted yeah. by that. Yeah. And to just see that little baby come out and to think of how many of those little ones were snuffed of life, that must right. have been so powerful yeah. for him. And what yeah. a powerful witness and testimony of hope and healing, right. you know, right. after being involved in, in such, you know, a magnitude of abortions. And you talk about the church, like getting behind the march. I remember talking to Eva Montaigne, the yeah, great. She's so great. <laughs> the, yeah, she's the organizer for the Walk for Life in San Francisco. And and she was telling me that because I remember they had this big march in San, in South America somewhere. And and she said it's because the church really got behind it yes. you know, and mobilized it. And uh, and that's what I see in the, the March for Life is that <clears throat> I was telling you earlier, we'd go every year as a seminary and I went sometimes after too. And but you know, just that great big mass at um, the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, oh, yeah. where it's like, I mean, there's people like, like into the aisle, right? You, I remember walking, because we would serve as, you know, and serve the mass and like, just to get down the aisle, you'd have to turn your shoulders, you know? There's so right. many people yeah. and bishops up there. It's so powerful. It you is know? so powerful, yeah. yeah. You know, it is true. Uh, the point about the church getting behind it. Mm -hmm. So I can, anecdotally, we've started the state march program. We started it back in 2018, but it's really growing to the extent that this year we'll be in 17 different states. Mm -hmm. And we plan to be in all 50 states in the next six or seven years. So yeah. we're growing quickly. But we've seen a massive difference between the states where the church supports the state march and it doesn't. Um, where the church supports it and has a mass at the cathedral with the bishop, with usually thousands coming out, mm -hmm. that tends to be a huge march, at least 5,000, with um, just a lot of joy and a lot of participation. And the one or two states where we've had a harder time getting the church behind it tends to be a much flatter and smaller crowd. Right. So it's not surprising that the church is just incredibly important. And I would echo Eva's point. I think it was Peru mm -hmm. where um, this big march happened that you're yeah, referring yeah. to, that the church was 100% behind it. Yeah, and it was yeah. enormous. Yeah. And I, you know, I always feel like we have to address that question too, is like, because we go out to San Francisco and cover that and, you know, the locals there push back on you and, we get emails and everything and uh, go home and stuff like that. And uh, so this, this city's called San Francisco. You know, I mean, the, the Franciscans were here, you know, a long time. It's really powerful <laughs> for you as a Franciscan. Yeah. And, but anyway, um, 
you know, why do this, right? And, you know, people challenge us, like, what's the... And I, I really think, like, John Paul II talked about awakening consciences and we could say, like, awakening the sleeping giant and that there's this big educational aspect to the march, you know, that, yeah. that I, I think gets people excited. I thought that about the movie about Abby... Uh, Abby Johnson, Johnson Unplanned. Yeah. Unplanned. And I, I thought I was kind of dreading seeing it because, oh, gosh, it's yeah. so gruesome, all this stuff. And, uh, but I felt like it moves the needle. I said I felt like it moved the needle for me in preaching. I said, Mark, you got to preach on this more. Wow. You know, and I, I think that's what marches do, that it's like, it's like this is a big issue. You know, are you yeah. excited mm -hmm. by that? Are you trying to do something about it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that public witness, it's, it's such a good point in a way. I get asked a lot is it really important to march? Because yeah. isn't the spiritual side of it so much more important? Which is true, mm -hmm. the spiritual side is more important. Um, or maybe um, making sure that maternity homes are financed really well, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like there are all these other things that you can do that will make a big difference. But there is something that is critically important to um, giving public witness. So we go back to the church's social teachings and the foundation of all of the church's social teachings is the beautiful teaching on the inherent dignity of the human person mm -hmm. from the moment of conception to natural death. And sadly, just that very simple but profound message is countercultural mm -hmm. today. And so to go into the public square, whether it's your state capitol or the you know, United States capitol, and to just stand po positively hopeful with love, but just to stand giving witness to the inherent dignity of the unborn person mm -hmm. is a very powerful sign um, to others. And it, it does bear a lot of fruit. Yeah. I mean, when that, when many people come together, it bears fruit and testimony to our political candidates and our political, our elected officials, but it also gives testimony to those of us who are there, but to others who are in DC, you know, one story, and I'm rambling here a bit, but uh, the, former head of NARAL Pro-Choice America, we were talking about Bernard Nathanson, he at one point was working with NARAL Pro-Choice America. But uh, the, you know, about 15 years ago, the president, Nancy Keenan was her name, was in Washington, D.C. the day of the March for Life and must have gone out for a lunch meeting or something. And so saw these hordes of young people around with their signs and with their joy. And she made a decision that day, which she later acted on, that she was gonna step down from her job because she realized that their side was losing the young people. And she thought that it was because they had a marketing problem and that mm -hmm. she needed to hire someone younger to market yeah. to young people. But we of course know that it was really the product that was flawed that they're trying to sell to young people, not, not a marketing problem. Right. But um, it, the crowds, the people, the joy, it does, give testimony, it, it changes hearts and minds. You know, I, one year in San Francisco, I think it was Michael Savage, that conservative oh, talk show host. Yeah. He's got like a boat in San Francisco and he's, oh. yeah, he was like, he was having lunch and the, the mart, the walk goes by. And he was saying, uh, I said, what are all these people doing? All these young people I are protesting. And he talked about it on his show and everything. And it, like it got his attention. You could hear the excitement to see like young people, you know, for something positive, you know. And, and that's what I was sharing nice. with you, you know, my experience too, like the, the march, 
especially when I was in seminary, we'd go and it was it was like a big family reunion. You'd see uh, people you know, different religious orders, priests or whatever, and it just such a great spirit of communion, you know, kind of the family of God. And and two, so I think it makes you realize you're not alone. And that too, we have this mission in the world, right? We're supposed to bring these values into the world and not just be in our own house. So to That's speak. right. Yeah. That's right. I know um, when we were interviewing for the TV show, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about a, a quote and I went back last night and I was just trying to remember um, the document and look at the quote and it's um, Christi Fidelis Leici, mm-hmm. um, which St. John Paul II wrote to the laity and talked about how the temporal reality, so our world and you know, in his words, with its economic and its social and its political problems and its grave difficulties, which I think we can agree that there are grave difficulties, mm-hmm that it's the mission field of the laity and that we are called to be salt and light. And that is so powerful to me because that's what the March for Life is about. We're being salt and light in the temporal mission field of, um, you know, a culture of life. Yeah. And just, yeah, like to see those young people, it's like so infectious and everything. And, and I, you know, just jumping back a second to the state's marches, you know, it, it makes perfect sense that we're fighting this battle on the federal level, and now it's shifting to states. We've had four states amend their constitutions, 11 more, I think, are in the pipeline. Yeah. And that's where the battle is now. And I don't know if people realize, because when it happened in Ohio, I was like, what? <laughs> I thought, you know, I was like, they're amending a constitution? You know, it's like, you know, this is serious. And I, in my my view, I guess maybe I shared this earlier, but it's, I thought we're going to win this because pro-lifers are in it for the long haul. It's like the pro-life motivation doesn't go away, right? It's part of, it's, it's intrinsic. It's a gospel of life. It's intrinsic to the gospel. Like you said, the dignity of the human person made by God, called to be with him forever, that that's part and parcel of what Christianity. So we're going to have that. But these are big losses. If you change a state's constitution, that's not easy, right? To go it's back. It's not easy. Yeah. It, it's yeah. it's. Uh, so what's happened now with these ballot initiatives is that the pro-life policy question has gotten taken out of the normative, which is more of a legislative process, mm-hmm. and it's it kind of on the fast track, um, unfortunately, it, and a much graver track. Uh, with these, if if these ballot initiatives are enacted, because it's much harder to undo a constitutional amendment than it is to undo a bad law. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we definitely have our work cut out for us there. But you know, culture is upstream of politics, and by that, like the legislative piece of it, is critically important. But it's most important. Well, it's important because it actually saves lives when it's yeah. illegal and what have you. But Maybe it's most important because of how it does impact people's view of things. Mm -hmm. It can change hearts and minds. I remember Mother Agnes saying this, that she thought that the most significant aspect of the overturn of Roe would be people considering 
how serious it was in, yeah. in a deeper way. In other words, what is legal is ethical. Mm-hmm. You know, in our country, that's how many people see it when that isn't necessarily the case. It certainly isn't the case with abortion. Yeah. And so um, so we do work to change the laws and we'll continue working at these ballot initiatives. We're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right now we're in kind of what I would describe as a cultural earthquake reverberation of the overturn of Roe. But that's going to finish and we're going to get back in the more of a proactive, positive stance. In the meantime, the far more important and loftier and harder goal is changing hearts and minds and building a culture of life. And the way that we do that is by changing our own lives, becoming, you know, more of who God wants us to be, Mm -hmm. more loving, um, having great priests like you, Father Mm -hmm. Mark, having great families Mm -hmm. and um, continuing to grow the culture of life in that way. Right. And I think you spoke about this time, too, as being, it's kind of a confusion among people. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, thank you. So I would just say that this, again, in the wake of the overturn of Roe, Mm -hmm. we're experiencing a tremendous amount of confusion. There's confusion on both sides, even pro-life people. I was amazed how many people thought that abortion was illegal even six months after the Dobbs decision came down. Like, good, devout Catholics that I would run into, like in Home Depot or something, would say these things to me. And I'm like, wow, that's not what Dobbs... Mm-hmm. I mean, so sure. So so when Roe came down, it made abortion legal. But the overturn of Roe didn't make abortion illegal. More importantly, it didn't make it unthinkable. But what it, it did allow was states to enact laws that protect life prior to 20 weeks. Yeah. States couldn't do that yeah. under Roe. Yeah. And so so there's confusion in that, but there's deeper confusion, I would say, in what does it mean to be a woman? And by that, I mean like a woman's capacity to be a mother, particularly. Is abortion good for women? You know, no. Right, right. <laughs> the answer is definitely not. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert. But there is this yeah. like looming, terrible question in our culture where women are tricked really and deceived by that lie. Um, And so, you know, I think that into that we speak truth and that the truth gives clarity, it gives peace, it gives order. And so we continue to do as much of that as possible. Right now, it's kind of a heyday in the spiritual realm, I think, as well, because people are very vulnerable to just erroneous messages and, and lies about what it means to be human, the truth about unborn life and, and all all of that. Yeah, it seemed like the pro-choice side just really amped up the volume messaging. And I was listening to some guy who said, yeah, I used to love listening to NPR, but after the decision, it was so pro-choice, it, he had his fill, <laughs> you know, he couldn't take it anymore. And, uh, and so, yeah. You should listen to more EWTN <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> NPR. So back to you and your story. Because <laughs> um, I remember, you know, just a distant observer when you came in to take over the Mars to be the director and then you made it smaller. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's uh, who is this woman coming to make these changes? You know, kind of a boldness <laughs> and uh, not funny. afraid to yeah. turn over the apple cart or something. <laughs> but uh, Right, yeah. Well, uh, I think that, so Nellie, again, had been running the march Mm -hmm. for almost 40 years, for 39 years. So, and it's only by standing on her shoulders that we're doing what we're able to do today with the march. But there was a lot of low-hanging fruit right away. I mean, there are a lot of things that we could do to just make a big impact. And when I was 
uh, appointed the, the role of president, there were a few things that people made very clear to me as priorities. Yeah. And it yeah. just made sense to me yeah. too, um, which one was social media, yeah. another was um, outreach to non-Catholics. And um, a third, as we joked about a bit, was shortening the rally, <laughs> <laughs> which was a, a cultural shift, frankly. Um, it had gone on, you know, three plus hours sometimes. And yeah. so really trying to keep the rally yeah. to an hour and to get, you know, sort of famous people yeah. in and people that would attract young mm-hmm. people. So big names in terms of bands and what have you. Celebrity. So we've moved a lot in yeah. that direction. Yeah. yeah. Celebrity yeah. sports figures, etc. Yeah, and I, I like to hear that because it was like it, it was a collaborative effort. You know, the spirit was moving the oh, yes. community as a whole and stuff. And yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was not. I, I can't take credit for those yeah. things. Not yeah. at all. And so the future, we talked about the state's marches and and any future things for the, the march in D.C. that you see coming? Or? Yeah, well, I, I continue to see us just growing in breadth and impact because uh, there's been a, I'm sure Father Mark, you've used it, but there's been this famous Winston Churchill quote after, it, for him, it was the Battle of El Amin that he was referring to. And he was asked, is this the end? Meaning, mm. is it the end of World War II? And he said, no, it's, it's not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps it's the end of the beginning. Mm. And I love that to think about with regard to a culture of life. Like we've moved from this chapter of the row chapter mm-hmm. in our country, and now we've moved into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And so there's no lack of work to be done in terms of building a culture of life, making abortion unthinkable. So we continue to grow in that way. Um, we will stay in January. Uh, we've been asked a lot if we'll move to June, but we've, we've, we've discerned it not once, but twice. Yeah. Um, and we're staying in January and uh, we'll continue, I believe, to grow as we need to yeah. and to speak truth into this uh, confusion in our culture. And the makeup of the march, you know, what, what percentage is Catholic? Do you have any idea? Or? I would guess about 80% is okay. Catholic. I mean, it's, we really, it's the backbone of the March yeah. for Life. And then like young people, like mid-20s, younger would be? 75 to 80%. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. So young. Yeah. Lots of young families, lots yeah. of schools, lots of colleges. Yeah. You always have a college or a high school hold the banner at the front of the march. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just like a great lesson in civics, you know, to mm-hmm. the... Because I remember going there and like it, sometimes, you know, you'd have like this police presence. Maybe they still have, like in front of the Supreme Court. Oh, yes, Court we still do. Yeah. And to me, it was like ridiculous. And you know, they got clenched fist and their battle uh, gear. It's like, really, guys? I mean, yeah. I don't think you need that. Well, I think the police presence is more to protect us than anything. So we yeah. work really closely with them and we're very um, careful about any messages that we hear about counter protesting. Yeah. We work with the D.C. police, the Metropolitan Police. Sorry, the D.C. police is the Metropolitan Police, the yeah. Capitol Police, and then the National Park Police, yeah. and often Secret Service and some special ops and what have you. So we start meeting with them a year in advance um, on all of these things, and they've got all sorts of people um, in plain clothes, and they're they're working hard to keep us protected. They, mm-hmm. They're very surprisingly friendly towards this yeah. issue and yeah. are, are great mm-hmm. for us. So we're grateful for our security <laughs> at the Supreme Court and otherwise, so in other places. So. Yeah, because we used to start at the White House and then go. Yeah. And it's, so you see, like, 
you know, like the brand, you got to see the Capitol, the Supreme Court, the White House, and, uh, and you're there to make this statement. And I just think it's great for young people to, you know, to have some hope, to feel like they're making a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's very powerful. If you've never been, if any of your listeners have not been to the march, check us out at marchforlife.org. We've got all of the information, both about the state marches and the national march. There are free events the day before the march. We've got something called um, Pro-Life 101, and it gives you tools on how to interact with your state or national elected officials to be more yeah. efficacious in building a culture of life. Yeah. Um, we've got the Rose Dinner, the Expo that you can go through. Um, there's even our March for Life Action has a wonderful breakfast the morning of the march right on Capitol Hill. So there's so much happening. We have a concert right before the march. It's the Danny Gokey Band mm. this year. So check us out mm -hmm. um, because there really is just so much happening and so much hope, as you yeah. say, Father Mark, so much hope. Well, thank you, uh, Jeannie, and keep up the good work. Well, thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.